want to start with excitement because we're starting a new podcast. Sure. It's something brand new. Mm -hmm. My heart's beating fast. But also (laughs) we're diving into really deep, difficult waters Mm -hmm. in these conversations over this first season, especially. So I'm trying trying to figure out what the mood should be. Anticipation. There you go. Mm -hmm. That kind of like that feeling in your stomach, something important is about to happen. I was trying to... I was talking to some friends about um, traveling. We were talking about going to like Germany and going to like the sites of concentration camps and that the weird feeling that you get the day you're going to a place like that or like going to like they went, they had visited the, where the Titanic went down sure, or like a spot where the bodies were. And it was this, it's this strange thing of you're going to see something you haven't seen that's historical, that's important, mm-hmm. but it's also so grave and serious and it's a strange, there's not, qu- I don't know if there's a word for like a sad anticipation. Sure. Yeah. The way that it would fill your body. That's right. And so I think we're, we're going to get into the things we don't quite have words for. So we should introduce ourselves first. Sure. That can be kind of exciting. Yes. Yeah. You go first. Okay. I'm Keaton and I'm on this journey with Laura. Throughout our friendship, she's taken me on all kinds of fun little opportunities to share stories I feel like I am a person who really is curious and loves to feel connected to people in all kinds of different ways. And I feel like podcasting has been a really beautiful way to be able to see stories from a fresh perspective and to get a little taste for everything. My idea of uh, what to get out of a podcast is just learning a lot from a lot of different people. I want to just consume the world, I suppose. Yeah. And I have found with podcasting, there's something about listening, Mm -hmm. right? It puts you in a posture that's just a little different from just reading something that you're hearing people's voices come through and you're hearing their heart come through a little clearer than just reading. Um, I'm Laura. So I have spent my career dealing in stories, uh, in how we tell them, in why we tell them, but more importantly, how do our stories connect us to each other? How do they connect us to the world? Uh, specifically for me in my life, a lot of it has been how do how do we connect to God through stories? What does it mean that we might be a part of a giant story, either through uh, a divine God or through each other? What does it mean to be in it together? And a lot of my life has been about being the person talking. And I think one of the things podcasts gifted me with is how holy it can be to listen. And I've gotten to be in rooms where people share their stories, where people open up and try to describe what it means to be a person (laughs) or try to describe what it means to believe that there might be a God who loves us. And when I sit back and listen, instead of talking in those rooms, there is like this holy hum that is kind of like music but it's like people being heard (laughs) and I just think there's a sound to that Um, and I wanted us to work on capturing some of that together so we are going to take on a word that might or might not be a real word I haven't googled it if you google it it comes up as a word okay so google does believe it's a word but if you are in a document, it tends to underline it as if it's not a word. With the red squiggles? Yes. Oh, no. It gives you that the judgment. 
of, are you, did you mean to type this? Sure. And sometimes it'll autocorrect it. Sure. So the word we're dealing with in this podcast is witness, mm-hmm. which sounds like witness, but it's not. But it's also harder to say three times fast. It is. Yeah. Cause you're not used to it. We're used to saying with, but this is like, it, I mean, it's right there. It's the state of being with. And I think one of the reasons I wanted us to use this word has like a grounding place is that I think withness, whether or not it's a real word, it is a real feeling. And we're going to work on what that, on describing that feeling. Uh, if I say withness, do you have an idea of that, whether or not it's a real word? Do you kind of know what it means? I feel like you do kind of know what it means since it's familiar. You've got that witness component to it too. And with, it's the blending. So the idea of being with each other and witnessing each other's uh, life experiences, whether or not it's the highs or the lows or the in-betweens, just being with people, witness. (laughs) And I think we have words that are close to it that just don't get it for me. They're not strong enough words. Sure. So like we might... I like the word company, like keeping each other company, mm-hmm. but doesn't feel quite strong enough or like the word together kind of gets there. But there's something about withness because I think it describes like a state mm-hmm. of being. And it yeah, there's feels, a little aura around the people that yeah, hum. Yeah. It feels quieter and like more still to me. And I just got back from a drive across the country and one of the longest stretches was through Kansas. And it gave me a picture that as we were getting ready to record, I kept thinking of this. But like, if you've ever driven out west, there are like hundreds and hundreds of acres of just, we have surrendered a lot of land to cows, (laughs) which I didn't, I didn't quite anticipate because there would be hundreds and hundreds of acres and then just a handful of cows real close to each other. Not roaming. Right. Not even paying any attention to the they hundreds of acres. They were taking up the space. Yeah. They were just to be next to each other. hanging out with each other in this one little corner of the acreage they could be exploring. And I thought, I think something like that is what we're describing. Uh, if you study, if you spend any time just thinking about words, there are words that are like exclusive to different cultures because they understand the concept. Sure. And like, sometimes I think we need a word for something to really understand the idea of it. So one of my favorite examples of that is the word um, Ubuntu or Ubuntu. I'm not sure exactly how you say it right. Sure. And what does it mean? It's a, it's a Kenyan word that means I am because you are. Wow. Which I think has Americans were like, we don't even have a word for that because we're so accustomed to I am because I am. Mm-hmm. And this is the idea that I'm so connected to you. So I remember years ago, there was a story in Cincinnati about a Girl Scout troop who basically decided that if the whole troop couldn't go on a trip, then none of them would go. That they were going to, whatever they had to do, if they had to like sell enough cookies, they were going to make it so that all of them could get a reward. And that was my, that's my best understanding of that African idea. I am because you are. So Girl Scouts did it. (laughs) Yeah. These these Girl Scouts got it. Yeah. But I don't know if they would have, we don't have a word for that kind of solidarity. Do you know if they got to go on the trip? (laughs) I don't, but I feel like, I feel like they must have because it's not a good story. You wouldn't put it in the news if they didn't get to go. But I think maybe one of the words I 
maybe one of the reasons I want witness to be a word is because I want it to be alive. I want it to be a reality that more of us experience. Um, so one of the things we did, we have podcasted together before we had did a podcast called the breakfast translation, uh, where we looked at these ancient stories and tried to understand the people inside of them. And we did it 60 times. We did. We had a successful run of three seasons. So we have been down a similar road before. But one of the things we've always tried to do, I think, with what we do is to tell our own stories along the way of telling bigger stories. So do you have a story like a time or if you were to, to try to put words around witness, do you have a time when you felt like you experienced it? Yes. So that idea of witness has always been a craving. And I, I totally agree that having a word for it helps identify those um, seasons of life a little bit better. I was on a cross-country team when I was in college and the ride home from a long run, um, the togetherness of being in that bus, usually everybody was silent. Maybe a, little, a couple people were chirping, but just the the feeling of being completely depleted and completely yourself with a bunch of other people who were doing the same thing um, was just a really beautiful moment of just feeling together with people doing something. Yeah, I love that picture because it's it's wordless sometimes, right? Like it's just knowing the other people are beside you and in it uh, with you. Um, I we're gonna start with like a. A, an easy description of it. Sure. For me, my first thought is my dog who is with us right now, who occasionally chimes in with his own ideas. He sure does. <laughs> he might have a thought or two or a bark to share with with the crowds. Uh, he gets a producer credit uh, in most of our work, but he, the, he's a sheepdog. And I didn't really understand this about sheepdogs, but they're, they're little shadow dogs. So he is hardly ever more than 10 feet away from me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it is this, uh, it's also wordless, <laughs> but it is, he is this like constant companion in a way that I would have never, if you would have asked me if I wanted a little dog that would shadow me and always be right next to me all the time, I would have said, no, I do not want that. But uh, it turns out it's he's pretty good company. He sat on your lap for four thousand miles, <laughs> uh, and again, it has it's caused me some back problems. His <laughs> his particular brand of witness, uh, but you know, there's been this stretch that where I have been, life has been devoid of witness except for this little dog, and. He also does this thing where if I am experiencing sadness or anger or anything, he registers it. Mm -hmm. And what I appreciate about him, and I think I noticed it in him first, and then I started noticing it in people, is that he moves closer to pain. Mm. That when he knows that I'm frustrated or upset, he comes closer. And I think I started seeing that in him and then noticing, oh, some people are like that, that they come closer when something is hard and some people go farther away. Yes. Um, my other example of this, I just recently um, helped a family go through the funeral process. And my first conversation with them after their loved one had died was, I just said, how are you? And their first answer was, well, we're together. Mm -hmm. So we're okay. You know, and it's that feeling that you're describing of, being worn out, being exhausted, being sad, feeling, you know, 
whether it's defeated or just tired or worn out or like the words, words have run out, um, that they were feeling like as long as we have each other, <laughs> we can't be too defeated. Right. Sure. And I think that is what we're trying to get at here. And maybe if we had more language for that, we would all experience it more. One of the my favorite things about podcast projects and just like writing projects, a lot of times they come out of pain. So a part of this podcast is also the absence of witness and the moments when we don't feel that. And so I got the idea for this primarily because I was feeling like a lack of witness. Um, I, part of my story is that I lost both my parents in the summer of 2020. They died just 37 days apart. And it was the absence of them, but also because it was COVID, it was the absence of all things. Like everything. Yeah, it was the <laughs> absence of society. Yeah, it was. And like we, there were some some attempts at rituals, at, at services for them, but they were just different. Sure. And it was a season where everybody was carrying heavy burdens. And so it was harder for people to maybe be in the mix with me. Um, and then just the reality of this is pre-vaccinations, pre-opening like back up. This is still... You, go to the grocery as early in the morning as you can restaurants. You're not allowed inside restaurants. This is still that time where we were all trying to figure out how to be safe together. And so not only was COVID, I think highlighting how much we do need each other and how much we thrive off each other. It was also this moment of how dangerous we are, like that we were sharing germs and space together is our normal experience of being human. I think we realized how important that was, but for me, it was all kind of amplified in being by myself during this time when I needed to be with other people. Yeah, you had this this huge need to have people come closer at a time where everything was pointing towards people being farther physically away, especially. Yeah. And so the the rituals you would maybe go through where you have to say out loud what's happened <laughs> or where you have to answer how you are or where you just have to be around people who are not grieving like all those things were just gone. Could you tell us a little bit more about the story of your parents? I remember it kicked off with you serving in a, a caretaker role. Yeah, they were both diagnosed in 2018 with awful things. So my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and my dad was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis, which both of those had a timeline attached to them. So my dad was given just a few years to live and Alzheimer's, um, not every case goes the same way, but it, there is like a general timeline and there's certainly a timeline to that person staying themselves. So they might be able to live a long time, but you're, you're on kind of borrowed time of their, their personality being themselves. And so that started in 2018. I was living in Cincinnati. I was kind of a long-term caregiver for a while. And then I moved to Columbus to be near them for their, what turned out to be their last year. And so I experienced witness with them in this high intensity, like their most vulnerable <laughs> season of life and my most vulnerable season being with them. And so uh, there was a witness to that that was, that is also a part of why this word has been in my mind. 
um, through these last several years. And then they just kind of, they declined together. So after 50 some years of marriage, they were kind of falling apart together, which is also this <laughs> radical picture of witness that uh, I joke with my friends who are married that if they do marriage right, they will destroy each other <laughs> in the end because <laughs> they, it's, it was a sort of a beautiful, awful thing Sure, that they're, you know, they're, they're falling apart was together. So my dad died first. Um, and then because my mom's was Alzheimer's, it just, the, at the stress of that, the grief of that, I think there are a lot of ways she was kind of holding out for him, like, cause she wanted to take care of him and be with him through his pain. Cause she, her whole life had been a, like, go towards the pain kind of a person. And so, um, I think it made sense, like looking back that they went so close together. Um, but it did, it left me with a lot of <laughs> like uh, trauma of, Absolutely. of the caregiving. I think it opened me up to like just what it means to take care of other people, what it means to live on that edge of being vigilant that things could fall apart at any second. Um, so it definitely opened me up to what my friends who are parents have gone through, especially uh friends who have had to parent through delicate situations. Um, it's certainly just opened me up to what it, what it means to be with people through, through pain and suffering. It must've been incredibly challenging to be able to fully experience the grief of your, the loss of your father as well when you're continuing to be a full-time caregiver for your mother. So just trying to tackle both of those incredibly emotionally and physically exhausting challenges at the same time well and I didn't <laughs> that's how I handled it <laughs> is that I just I did not pay attention to my dad's death really um well I paid attention to it through my mom so I immediately wrapped my arms around her literally and metaphorically and just kind of focused on how to get her through um and that, that meant certain things. Like, so that's a part of the driver for this, at least the first season. I think we'll explore all kinds of things through this project. But the first season sort of focused on eulogies and grieving rituals because I we had a funeral for my dad, like a, or a memorial service, but it was, it was literally masked. Like people were in mask. And I was masked so you couldn't even connect with the faces of the people yeah and it allowed me to kind of go into I have different words for it like either submarine mode or robot mode like this mode of just taking care of what's in front of me and not feeling it um my therapist has called this a dorsal vagal shutdown <laughs> okay <laughs> you, is that an official term yes it's where you shut off your vagus nerve that controls all your trauma responses uh, so I had this, this inclination to just turn that off. And so, um, I was able to go through the rituals. Like I stood up and delivered a eulogy for my dad. Wow. Uh, it was, I didn't really make a speech. I, I'll talk about it in some of the conversations okay. with other people, but, uh, I had a list that I had made when I moved back home of ways to love my dad and ways to love my mom. And I made that list. Like, when I first moved back to take care of them. And so for my dad's eulogy, I just read that list. The list that you had created. <laughs> yeah. Prior. Cause it really kind of described him and like the things that made him happy. And, 
Um, so I just kind of used that list as his eulogy. Um, Do you remember anything that was on that list? Yeah, it was, some of it was fun stuff, like to make sure he had his favorite foods because <laughs> he was like a big love through, love through the belly kind of a guy. So, um, that was, that was one of the things. One was to just talk about my work and things I was doing because he, he was very proud of my sister and I, like the things we did for church and for the world. He was always proud of that stuff. Um, and then just to talk about the things that he loved, like he could talk forever about Ohio State. He could talk forever about trivia, like old Hollywood, like movies and stuff like that. And so uh, some of it was was it was things that I my whole life wish I had done more of. <laughs> like there were things like that on the list. And so in describing like ways to love him, I, I think it described who he was as a as a person. Um. But yeah, going through that ritual in a sort of broken way, <laughs> like in the season of of where we're all extra cautious of where I wasn't showing my face literally to people and metaphorically, like I was hiding it all, um, made me hyper aware of how important these rituals are because we didn't really get to experience it and then I particularly didn't get to experience it because I was so wrapped up in in my mom and how she responded to all my decisions through those days were for her um which it needed to be but it just postponed me dealing with my own feelings one of the questions that I've heard you ask in this series that we're doing is in those initial days um following loss uh, what did you, what did you need and what did you want? And it sounds like a lot of that was, um, you, you needed community and you needed to be able to see the faces of your loved ones and you needed, um, some, some support and yeah. do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah. And it, it is hard. Cause I, I almost, when we, when we were talking about sitting down and having this conversation, I, it's hard for me because I think of like what we didn't get. Like I always I make jokes about how both my parents died and I got zero casseroles. <laughs> the classic. Like, like I just didn't get any casseroles. And I tend to kind of focus on that, like the things people didn't do or the the people that didn't show up does loom large. Um, but I think I have to remind myself that there were, there were people who did show up. So... I didn't get casseroles, but I had a friend send like a whole box of chicken strips, which makes me way happier than you love chicken strips. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I had friends who took the risk, you know, like at that point being with people was a risk. Um, or I had people who came and we found a way to like be together outside, you know, so I had two or three places where I knew I could, if people were willing to come visit and sit with me, then we could go to these places and sit on these patios outside. On a together. patio somewhere that <laughs> <Yeah>. is very Laura. <laughs> so I was ready with like an agenda for, okay, if you want to come support me, here's how we can do that without too much anxiety. Mm. So that's how you were, you were helping guide people with how to support you. Yeah, which I think it. you'll hear in these conversations, that becomes a thing that the suffering people often have to help. Help other people. Help other people <laughs> know how to support them. Um either by saying directly, which I wish I had done that more. Like I wish there were days where I know I was craving, like just somebody text me, you know, just like somebody reach out. Um, 
but I was not willing to say to people, hey, I need somebody to come be with me today. Sure. Um, and that is also because everybody was under such stress. Right. You know, so there, there's just ways that were just not what they were supposed to be uh, for multiple reasons. Um, but I think the people who just offered something, you know, I had people, I was trying to, once my mom died, I was also trying to go through their house. And so I had people just offer to come help or to help me move things from here to there. Um, and I would say those were the most helpful things. Uh, one of the hard things is like people who just wanted to like check in on how I was. And there was a stretch where I could not answer the question. Right. <laughs> and so this very, this thing that people know to do just didn't work for me for a while. Because it felt like homework to kind of answer the question. Especially if it was sent in a text message format. Yes. Shoot, I should elaborate on this. And yeah. And even in, so I have started, like, if I ask people how they are, I'll be like, feel free to send a, like, a GIF gif. Yes. <laughs> like, or an emoji, a yeah. thumbs up. If that's a all frowny you need face. to send, that's fine. Yeah. Because um, I even in person, if somebody would ask, how are you, couldn't answer. And I would just make a noise. <laughs> like, I, would just, <laughs> I would just try to convey the the sense of things because it felt it did it felt beyond words to say how I was um and so I, I think that's why witness became so important is that I I felt the lack of it but when it came through it was so powerful and helpful the season we're focusing on stories of pretty extreme loss and in telling these stories um what what are you hoping that we see yeah, one of the things that was important to me, I should say, one of the ways people showed up for me was just letting me tell stories about my parents. Like, I didn't realize how vital that would be to just, even if it felt random. Sure. Like, if something was happening around us and I said, oh, my mom, this is what my mom would do if she was here and saw that. You know, which didn't always make the most sense, but I needed to just talk about them. And so some of it is very literally like I knew I have friends who have loss, who it would be a gift to them to just sit down and let them tell these stories. And so part of it was to model like what it is to have these conversations. To give people the space to talk about their people. Yes, because I think one of the most gracious things we can do is not put like a moratorium on how long people can tell those stories. That. Sometimes just like hearing somebody say their names is like a gift, you know? Um, and so I think that was a, that was definitely a part of it. I also think we're at this part. I don't know if you would, if you've seen this, but I think we're at a point where we kind of know that some of the things we've done aren't helpful. Like I have friends who they know that saying this thing, like we kind of know now, or if you pay any attention, you know, that just saying, if I can help, let me know we kind of know that that doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then most people are not going to reach out and say, you can help this, right? Like we're putting the burden on the people who are suffering. But we haven't yet figured out what can we do instead. Uh, we've kind of figured out like saying, well, God's with you. You know, that like saying these things that are supposed to be comforting doesn't really work. But we haven't found the words to replace that quite yet. And so my hope is that maybe we could just kind of paint the picture of what it means to be with people in these moments and that we don't need to be afraid to have these conversations with people who are hurting 
uh, and that we can kind of go into these the difficult terrain with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, especially with the people we we picked for this first season, they're the kind of people who want to help other people. <laughs> you know, they want their loss to matter. Mm-hmm. So they're telling the story not just because they need to tell it, but in most cases, it's because they know that somebody else will hear it and feel freed by it. Yeah. I think it can sometimes be scary for folks who are outside of that loss to enter in on it and to um, say the wrong thing or to step on a landmine and to hurt a relationship. So I think sometimes people just will shut down and walk away and that hurts in a whole different um, and long-term way. Yes. Yeah. Uh, One of my, so we're going to get into every once in a while, I think faith will come up, but that's not like a prerequisite for these conversations. Um, But it is a part of my life. It's part of your life. Some of the people we talk to, it's a big part of their life is so, but we don't like let faith be our out in this conversation either. But I will say one of the driving things for me through this stretch has been the words from uh, Paul, the apostle who I think one of the smartest things he said is to grieve with those who grieve and celebrate with those who celebrate. And so one of the things about not being a part of the grieving process is that you also don't get to be a part of the celebrating process with people. So you don't get to be a part of their healing and you don't get to, if you don't walk through the valley with them, you don't get to be on the other side with them either. Um, There's a woman who does uh, a lot of grief work And she has this phrase, she says that grief changes your address book. You know, that you you do, all your relationships get altered um, by by loss and by suffering. And so uh, I think our hope is that that maybe that can happen a little less, that people can hang in there with each other. I should say that this podcast started out, in my mind, when I was first thinking about it, it was going to be about eulogies. And then I found as I talked to people that it does start there. Like people do have things to say about the actual grief rituals, but it got to be to where I needed to have the whole story filled out. And so I think most of these conversations just get so much bigger than that. Um, And I think, I mean, you've listened to some of them. So you tell me, like, I think we could give people a picture of what to expect. I'll just say that I think um, it, It starts out as like these sad stories, but I think what a lot of times you'll hear is people, people surviving, people thriving, people like finding their way through. And it starts with the hard part, but it doesn't stay there. Yeah. I think what I heard in a lot of the conversations. How about you? Absolutely. And something else that I noticed is that these stories of loss that you hear, you get to create um, from the person who has lost a really more complex, nuanced human version of this person. So the story becomes bigger and it doesn't become just the person who was lost. It becomes a person who is here. Yes. Uh, and I think that is one of my own experiences in loss is that your relationship with the people doesn't end. <laughs> and I think we hear that in a lot of these stories. Um, endings are not endings. Uh, Eugene Peterson is this pastor type theologian who wrote books a long time ago. One of the lines I read from him is that we don't become ourselves by ourselves. That, that withness is actually how we are formed. And for a lot of these people, their relationship with their person was formative and it's not done. 
Mm-hmm. And so my hope, not just with this season, but even as we go on to explore other forms of witness, that we'll see how much we are made by each other. Something that I think is so beautiful is if I'm, I believe I'm remembering this right, but I think the name witness came after the podcast was already being recorded. So it's going to be the story of eulogies. And then there was just this big, big story, this big component that was looming and you put words to it. Yes. It just kept coming back to what is the biggest idea. And I think that's the one that that kind of came to the surface over and over again. Uh, We should say too, that you're going to hear music kind of coming in and out. And my first loss was my sister who I grew up with. Her name is Chris Reffitt and she was a musician. And I really learned about Witness when she died. She was the kind of person who made friends in every room she was in. And so when she died, we had, it was a standing room only service basically. So here she is like this person who, you know, she didn't, she wasn't famous by any means. She, she was a musician and had had some songs on the local radio and had worked at a few churches, but nothing that would have drawn people except for her being. So there was like over, I think the room seats, like 500, 600 people. And then people were lined the back walls. And what I remember the most from her loss is people showing up to honor her. And I feel like even though that happened almost 20 years ago, like I definitely feel like her, her purposes are still with me and who she was is still a part of everything uh, that I do. And so it's felt important to me to include like her strumming on a guitar uh, in, in these projects because I learned from her like what it is to just make something and put it out into the world. So she's going to be our soundtrack for this season of Witness. 